this time we'll take up our morning offering. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, we just thank you. We're going on almost two months, and we've just come into the end of the first chapter of Mark. Um, but there's been so much packed in, in the, the first, in his introduction, and so many terms, and under, uh, the revelation of who God is, uh, his great uh, uh, revelation of his his distinct son of God being coming in, in flesh and uh, the second person of the triune God, all those things that we've covered the last few weeks. I hope it's been an encouragement to you as, we, as we've looked at the gospel of Mark as Mark portrays or records for us what Peter had told him about Jesus and Jesus' earthly ministry. And again, we, we, we know it's important to, to look into the gospels and, and see and follow after Jesus' earthly ministry because Scriptures teach, the Apostle Paul specifically teaches that, that the way that we are transformed or made more into the image of Jesus Christ is to be renewed and transformed into His image by, by beholding the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3.18, the Apostle Paul writes, We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. And as we look at the glory of the Lord, he goes on to say we are being transformed into that same image, into the image of Jesus from glory to glory, step by step. And if you ask my wife, for me, that is two steps forward, three steps back sometimes. But praise be to God that's the means in which he's uh, given us to, to change and to walk in this new creation that he's given us that, uh, as a gift of salvation that we, uh, we pursue him and are filled with the Spirit of God. We are transformed as we behold Jesus. And so the title of my message this morning is to behold Jesus. Let us behold Jesus together in the Gospel of Mark. Let us see him and learn of him and trust as Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he transforms us from image into the same image, from glory to glory. And this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so as we do this, let us pray that God would transform us, that the Spirit of God would transform our hearts and change us into the image of Jesus just a little more this morning as we behold the glory of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we, we do. We ask, God, that you would, you would help us that you would help us to focus our eyes and our hearing upon Jesus, our Lord. That as we do so, God, as he emerges to us from the pages of your inspired word, God, that your spirit would, would, would do that transforming work. We, we desperately need to hear from you this morning, God. We, we cannot do the Christian walk and what you've called us to do in our own uh, righteousness and our own strength. We, we, we must rely upon you and we must rely by faith and knowing that you are doing a work within us. And so, God, I just pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would minister to those who need to be ministered to this morning, that you would encourage those who need to be encouraged this morning. Father, that you would rebuke those who needed to be rebuked this morning. You're the, you're God. And we just ask that you would do a work in our midst, Lord. For your glory's sake and for our good, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, beholding Jesus, we've gone through uh, 
the majority of the first chapter of Mark, and we've seen uh, Mark describing and, and de- declaring that the, through the, the ministry of John the Baptist, that John the Baptist arrives on the scene and he, he prepares the way of the Lord, the, the long prophesied and promised Messiah uh, was coming, and he was the one sent by God to prepare uh, to, to prepare the Messiah's way, and we saw that he did so not by uh, gathering an army of people. He didn't go out and be, begin to get some workers and build a big palace for a king, kingdom uh, reign. He he began to the, prepare the way of the Lord by proclaiming baptism for the uh, forgiveness and repentance of sin. He began to declare to Jerusalem and all the the surrounding areas that to prepare for Jesus is to, or to prepare for the Lord, for the Messiah, is to, to turn from sin, that we have a sin problem. And Jesus arrives on the scene and then not only uh, comes to John the Baptist, uh, but uh, comes and, be, and gets, becomes baptized or gets baptized by John the Baptist. He, and we discussed how in doing so, Jesus identifies with our problem. Our sin problem. He's come to, to, to identify with this problem and to be, to be the answer to our problem. He not only symbolically identifies with sin and our sin problem with the holy and just God, he, he literally identifies with our sin as he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. The Spirit leads him into the wilderness and he is tempted by Satan for 40 days. He is, uh, as he, we've seen in previous in our previous sermons as we've gone through it, that Jesus was the unique one. He was, he was a man, yes, but he was the unique one from heaven. He was God's one and only Son, the Son of God who came as God in the flesh. And so although he was 100% man, he is also, or he became 100% man, he has always been and always will be 100% God, the second person of our triune God. And he came, took upon flesh so that he could be our kinsman redeemer. He came and took upon flesh so that he could go to the cross and pay and atone for the sin of mankind, the sin for us. That's why Jesus came. To save us from what we truly deserve, separation and eternal judgment from God. He's, he's come to seek and to save those who are lost. And he's come, and Mark shows us as he, he went into, the, um, into Capernaum, he began to, to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news, the good news that God has made a way of salvation through the Messiah. And he has already explicitly, Mark has already explicitly told us how we can receive that great gift of salvation that is through repentance, changing our mind and turning our, from our own ways and understandings and embracing and believing and trust in Christ and His accomplished work alone. Jesus began His ministry by, after the temptation, being tempted by Satan, yet without sin, because He was God in the flesh, He began preaching this word. This good news of the gospel, this good, the good news of the kingdom. Good news and gospel are synonymous with one another, but it's the good news of the kingdom. And then last week we, we began to see uh, how Mark uh, thought it was very important that he showed his readers and ultimately the Spirit is showing us that Jesus claimed to have this authority from on high, that he claimed to speak for, for God and the kingdom of God 
But it's a whole other thing when he can demonstrate this authority. And he demonstrated this authority last week by, in verses 27 and 28 by what, casting out an unclean or a, a demon. He cast this demon out from a person demonstrating his authority. And we see in verse 27 how everybody that was around, they were all amazed. And so they begin to ask each other, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And that once the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee, what Jesus was doing, his demonstration of his kingly power, of his godly power, of his divinity power, his divine power, right, made who he was. Could you imagine in our time if someone were to arrive and be just by, on command, right, cast out demons or heal the sick? What kind of buzz and stir that would cause? And that's exactly what's happens here. Jesus demonstrating his authority. Not just saying he has, anyone can say they have authority from God, but it's the demonstration of his power that proves his claim to be true. Jerry already read for us the passage that we're going to be covering this morning. So I'll start with just the points that we we can pull out of our section. Uh, Verses 29 through 31 is where I wanted to concentrate on. We saw how he cast out a demon, exercising authority, but he goes on and we'll see uh, uh, Mark is building up this crescendo of, of Jesus' demonstration of his authority. He, he not only cast out just a demon, now he comes to, to Peter's mother-in-law and heals her from a fever. We see this act of healing in verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon, that's also Peter, right? He's called Simon Peter. And Andrew's house, that's his brother. We saw in previous passages that Jesus called them out and told them to follow him, follow him as his disciples. And they go to their house here with James and John. And Peter's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever. And they told him about her at once. And so they go to Jesus. They appeal to Jesus. And so we see Jesus again demonstrating his compassion, not only just his authority, but his compassion and his love towards us humans who are confronted with the the fall and the curse of sin on a daily basis. The outward man perishes day by day, Paul says. And Jesus comes to this sickness and frailty, this uh, example this, of the, the consequences of the fall. And what does he do? So he went to her and took her by the hand and he raised her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. So immediately as he touches her hand through his authority and power, the fever left her and she began to serve them. And I just... I, I, I just kept coming back to this this week. Yesterday I was really wrestling with this, but I, I really see just this subtle inclination of this act of worship. So we see an act of, of, of healing, right, uh, through Jesus, but we see uh, Peter's mother-in-law and her response to it as a, just a simple form and an act of worship to him. 
because of what he's done. Right? The scriptures say, as soon as the fever left, she began to serve them. And I, I looked at the commentators because if I, if I have something, an idea in my head, I, I want to make sure that I'm not the only one thinking that, right? Because that, that kind of leads to, to a place where I can be in, go to error. And so I, I went to the, some trusted commentators, and, and most of the commentators said that the, that, that last part of the verse, uh, 31b, and she began to serve them, demonstrates that it was a complete healing, that she didn't have uh, a t- a need a time to, to just eventually recover. It was complete. And right away, she began to, to have this complete healing and began to, to go about and to serve them. But, but I, as I began to think about it, is, is not this an act of worship? She's lying in bed. Simon and Andrew, her sons, go to the Lord Jesus and, and beseech Jesus. My, my mother-in-law is sick. I guess it's just Simon, I guess. My mother-in-law is sick. And he comes and touches her and by his grace and just gives her immediate healing. And as she's healed, she, she has a response. I'm sure she had, and this is just me talking, right? She had every, the scriptures don't speak to this, but she's, she's a human. She's like us. She's, she's real. This is historical narrative. She's laying in bed and instantly healed, and, and she had a choice. I'm sure she could have said, you know, that was really rough. I think I'm just going to rest a while. I'm going to sit to the side. But instead, her response was a response of gratitude, and that gratitude outflowed through an act of worship and serving him and the others. And it's just quiet and humble. But it, it, for, for me, that, that was my lesson this week. Sometimes we can make discipleship and following Jesus so complicated. Or we can become so distracted with other things. But here's this lady who's touched by the gracious hand of our Lord. And she just humbly and quietly goes to worshiping Him through her service to Him and to others. We go on. It's not just Jesus was the Mark makes sure that he understands, that his readers understand that the the, the uh, casting out of the demon in verse 27 and the healing of Simon Peter's mother-in-law wasn't just the, an outlier. It wasn't just a happenstance. It wasn't just an occasion, uh, uh, one time and one and done type of deal. No, Jesus' entire ministry consisted of numerous acts of healings and deliverances. And Mark makes sure his readers know that the Holy Spirit wants us and makes, wants us to know through the writings of Mark that Jesus' authority was complete and was without limit. Verse 32, when evening came after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. And why is that important that they waited till the evening and after the sun had set? This was the Sabbath day, and there were strict rules for the Jewish people that they were not to carry anything or to work on the Sabbath day. And so news spread about Jesus uh, casting out this demon in the synagogue that we covered earlier. And, and so they desire, and then they hear about Mary, uh, sorry, sorry, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, being healed and so they desire to bring the ones that they love to the feet of Jesus so that they too can be healed but they they can't break the law they have to wait for after the sun had set Sabbath was from sunset 
on a Friday to sunset on Saturday. And so after the sun had set on Saturday, they could no longer have to worry, no longer had to worry about violating the Sabbath rules that had been imposed upon them. So when evening came after this, the, after they, the sun had set, they, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town, a little bit of hyperbole there, but we see that, right, there was a great stir and people were standing in line to be healed and to be rid of demons. All those spiritual battles that go on, that continue to go on today, they desired to be delivered from those things through the power and the authority of Jesus. The whole town was assembled at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases. It didn't matter what disease they had. It didn't matter if it was a fever or if it was cancer or what it was. Jesus was healing again and again. And he didn't just drive out the one demon. He drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Again, we saw the demon in verse 28 saying, You are the Holy One of God. And there's a couple reasons that in Mark we see Jesus time and time again to asking not only the demons but other people, don't tell people who I am. Because his claim of messiahship is ultimately the claim that will uh, uh, be, that they will be he will be judged on and go to the cross. And so he he as as though he uh, even though he was demonstrating his power and authority, he was asking people to keep it under wraps so that that he's time and the the perfect um, timing of the Father for him to ultimately go to the cross would be fulfilled. And another portion that we. We can't help but think he probably didn't want demons speaking about him. They didn't want the demon to be testifying about him. He wanted his actions and his proclamation of the gospel through him and ultimately as he allows his apostles to go forward to proclaim this goodness. He wanted those that were in his kingdom to, to proclaim this good news. And so he commands the demons to not speak about him. But ultimately what he what Mark is showing us here is There's no limit to Jesus' power. Nothing is above his strength or his authority because he's ultimately God in the flesh. Jesus has complete dominion and power over everything that is in this creation, both the physical realm and the spiritual realm. That's why we can joyously proclaim, as the Apostle Paul did in Colossians 1, 15, 16, the understanding of who our Jesus, who our Christ, who the one that we follow is. These acts of authority over the physical and spiritual realm speak of his deity. And we can proclaim with Paul in Colossians 1, 15, Jesus is the image of, of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For everything. The Greek word for everything is means everything. Right? Everything was created by him. In heaven and on earth. The visible things and the invisible things. Whether thrones or dominions 
or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. That is our God. That is the one in who we place our faith in. That is the one we place our eternity in and trust in. That he who came from above and became a man and died on the cross and was paid, or paid the penalty of my sin is the one that provides eternal life not only for me, but for all who will believe. Jesus not only claimed it, but he demonstrated his authority and his dominion over all things. And I pray that today that is where your faith and trust is in. It's in this Jesus who created everything and is, has dominion over the visible and the invisible, the spirit. The, 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 we've read in Sunday school this morning that uh, the, the, the Lord views the nations as like a drop in the bucket. All-powerful God has condescended and made a way for us to have relationship with him and be his children through this gospel message of Jesus. So we stand with Paul and proclaim that Jesus is God and all things were made by him and for him. Moving on in our text this morning. I have Acts there, but it's actually Mark chapter 1. I changed the slide this morning. And anyway, Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 37 shows us Mark makes it a point to show us Christ's priorities in his earthly ministry. And his priorities are ultimately prayer. Prayer to the Father. Countless times we'll see Jesus getting alone, making time, rising up early to have communion with the Father. And another priority was his preaching, his proclamation of the word. Let's see this. In, verse, in the verses that follow, verses 35 through 37. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. So the night before, he had a late night. The whole town was in front of the door asking for healing and deliverances. And Jesus, instead of embracing this new popularity and gaining this following and just, and just living in, in this new uh, popularity and the, the, the praise of all these people, right? He, he seeks solace and he seeks refuge from the busyness so that he can be alone and commune with the Father. Even though he had a late night, he gets up early while it was still dark and he goes out to a deserted place and was praying. And I can't help but think if it was important for Jesus to do that, is it not important for us? We are so, there's so many things in our modern culture that distract us, that can distract us from what's truly important. It pulls us away from what Jesus thought of as the priorities in this world. And I am, I am the number one suspect in this. So many other things that pull me away from 
this priority of making sure I take time to get alone with my God and to pray. As was Jesus' priority. And may, may God, the Spirit, remind us that it should be a priority in the life of the believer as well. And so he's praying, and then we see in verse 36, Simon and his companions search for him. They're like frantically looking for him, according to some commentators. Why? Because everyone's clamoring for Jesus. They need, they need, they need miracles too. They need healing too. They, need, they have someone that they know that needs a deliverance from a de- demon as well. And so they go searching for them and and not only them, but everyone is looking for Jesus. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But that wasn't Jesus' priority. Was to be some, to just continuously uh, give deliverances and healings to people. Jesus' priority was to preach the gospel, the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. Jesus' priority was to to preach about the eternal healing that he can provide and not just the temporal. And he sees, we see that this is his priority in verse 38. And he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may what? Preach there too. This is why I have come. To preach the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God. The Messiah has come to save in the temporal healings and the, 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 um, the demon possessions that he, he delivers people from are all good things. But that was not his primary uh, um, reason to come. It was a, certainly a demonstration of his authority. So in his, his demonstration of his authority over the... Um, Nature and over the spiritual realm can certainly help us to to place our faith and trust in the promises and the the, uh, truth claims that he will give us in the gospel. Right? If he has that authority, then he's one to be trusted. And so the demonstration of his kingdom authority and his power and dominion over all things is important, but that wasn't the primary purpose for him coming. If that were the primary purpose in coming, he could have just set up shop in Peter's house, and just the, the, the fact of what he's doing, we, we see, right, it, it, his name gets to be spread all around. People would come to him if his primary purpose was just to heal and to deliver people. He could just sit back and let them come as they obviously demonstrated that was not his primary purpose. He came to preach the good news. Right? We reminded John the Baptist preparing the way of the Messiah through proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Sin is the ultimate issue, the eternal issue. See, the problem with healings and demon possessions is, yes, you might be healed temporarily, and and it's a great demonstration of God's power and love and compassion towards you, but that does not rescue or did not rescue those people from ultimately becoming sick yet again and dying. It was just a temporary fix because sin 
It's appointed that a man wants to die, right? We are all faced with the fact that we all are decaying. The moment we be, are born, we begin to, to march towards that time when we will die. So as most powerful as it was that Jesus did all these miracle healings and stuff, the primary purpose was about the problem of sin, a sinful man and a holy God. And that's what John proclaimed. The people needed to turn from sin to prepare their way and their hearts for the, for the Lord is to understand their sin in the eyes of a holy God. And, and we see after John was arrested, Jesus went to Gal- Galilee, right? Proclaiming the good news, the gospel. He proclaimed the, as he, after he was done with his 40 days, being tempted for 40 days, he begins to preach this good news of God, the kingdom of God, the the good news that he has come to save us from our true enemy, and that is sin and the separation that we have with our holy God because of it. He proclaimed the good news. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near, right? He's brought the kingdom of God. Repent. Turn from your own ways. Turn from your religious ways. Turn from your self-righteousness. Turn from the gods you've been idolizing. Turn from the God of self and believe the good news, believe the gospel that Christ has come to seek and to save those who are lost. And that was Jesus' priority is to proclaim this good news. And I think what we can see from this Jesus' response that we know we need to go to, to other surrounding villages and proclaim the good news there as well is that, that somehow the, the, the good news of the kingdom, the, the gospel message was being drowned out in Capernaum because of his demonstration of his power. People begin to seek, right, temporal healings and the message of the kingdom begins to be drowned out because the people, the masses are getting worked up and excitement about what Jesus is doing temporally. And so Jesus reprioritizes after spending time with the Father and says, no, let us go preach the gospel to the surrounding areas as well. It's a common concern in John chapter 6 after feeding the 5,000. There's a whole mass of people that are trying to keep up with Jesus, and Jesus is again trying to to recede or step away from this crowds of people. And... And so Jesus confronts this, this group of people after he fed them, and miraculously fed the 5,000 with just a couple of loaves and fish. He says to them, Truly I tell you, in John chapter 6, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs or you perceived the signs, right? Those signs of miraculous of the miraculous that he has done is, again, to demonstrate his authority. And, that, and for someone who has the eyes to see and the ears to hear, that we, we, we would understand that. But they weren't seeking him for those things. No, because you saw, not because you saw or perceived the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. You're pursuing me because your flesh is satisfied, that you're full, your belly is full, that I'm satisfying a temporal need. When I did not come specifically for that, I came to satisfy our eternal need, or mankind's eternal need is ultimately what he says. Verse 27, don't work for the food that perishes, the temporal, but work for the food that lasts for eternal life. 
which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval upon him. Jesus says, work for the food that lasts for eternal life. And then he'll go on to say what? I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Jesus' good news of the gospel is not just about the temporal, it's about the eternal, that through him we have had the problem of our sin addressed because he paid the penalty on our account and that he, then he turns and turns, gives us his righteousness for those who receive and believe him and trust in his gospel message. We are given the righteousness of Christ. We're baptized into the body of Christ. God, the Father, no longer sees us in our sin because Jesus was pay, paid that penalty for us and he sees us in the righteousness of God. And that is the beautiful gift of God's grace. It's unmerited we don't deserve it. But it's an act and demonstration of his love. And that is the gospel message uh, that was the priority of Jesus. That Jesus desired for people to see him for what he truly could provide. Eternal deliverance. Eternal healing. Through his gospel message. I pray that You've encountered Jesus in that way. That you've abandoned hope and your membership of a church or your self-righteousness and you've placed your faith in this gospel message, the good news that the kingdom of God has come near in Christ. And I pray that today would be the day, if you haven't encountered him, that today you would come to Christ. That you would trust in him. As we sing our last song this morning, if you feel compelled to come forward and, and to, to confess that you would like to follow after Christ and believe and trust in Him, I would want to invite you to do so. If you need to have answers, uh, questions, uh, answers to your questions, I would love to show you from the Word of God how you can, you can believe and trust in what Jesus has said and His truth claims and how you can know from his word that you too can have eternal life through what he's done. And believer, I just want to try to provide you a little bit of application for you this morning. And it's the application that I took for me personally from just that small portion of scripture in John chapter 1, verse 31, where after she was healed, Peter's mother-in-law began to serve. What a simple expression of worship. How we can make it so complicated. But the author of Hebrews talks about how we can worship. But it's an outflow of gratitude of what Jesus has done. That's, that must be our motivation. And G, the writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore through him, that's Jesus, let us continually offer up there's two types of worship that we can continually do we can continually offer up to god a sacrifice of praise hebrews 13 15 and 16 we can continually opt to offer up to god a sacrifice right he's comparing the sacrifices of the old testament to what in the new testament context what that looks like for us and our sacrifice is a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips that confess his name. This morning when we sang songs unto him, we worshiped him. 
when we cry out to him in prayer, when we proclaim the name of Jesus in the gospel message, we are giving him a sacrifice of praise. When we uh, make Jesus preeminent in all that we sing and say and do, that is a means of worship. But there's another portion or type of worship as well. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share. For God is pleased with such sacrifices as well. Don't neglect to do what is good. What did Peter's mother-in-law do? Set her own desires aside. Didn't take an opportunity to rest. Out of her overflow of gratitude of what Jesus had done for her by being touched by his grace, she began to serve, to do good for others. And so my application for us this morning, I pray that you're reminded of what God has done for you if you're in Christ. And that it provides us an opportunity to worship Him not only with our mouth, but how we serve and love others. That is a form of worship as well. For God is pleased with such sacrifices. But it starts with, at least for me, a remembrance that I've been touched by the grace of Jesus. I've been a benefactor of the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm so grateful for that. And I want the Spirit to be able to allow me to serve Him and others from that motivation and none else because he's worthy. He is worthy. If you desire prayer this morning, I encourage you to come up and I will pray with you here in the front row. If you desire to come to a saving or to, to come to Jesus, you can come to Jesus. We will cry out to Jesus. But if you want to step forward as an act of faith, uh, I encourage you to do so in this closing song as well. God would be glorified in that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be reminded